0: Uh, We like to say here at Crossbridge that Crossbridge is a table. And uh, this is a table for everyone. You don't have to have your life all figured out. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to believe like we do to find your seat at this table. And maybe you've walked in here today or you've been coming in and you sit in the back and you're sort of hidden from the crowd. And as soon as the service is over, you're out uh, because you feel inadequate. You, you, you don't feel that you fit in. And I want to emphasize to you for the, se- for the next several weeks that uh, you can belong before you believe You don't have to clean your act to come to this table because what we believe is the creator God of the universe, he feasts with sinners such as you and I. Uh, Last Sunday, we launched this series of sermons entitled Tables, and what we are going to be doing for the Lent season, the Lent season meaning the season that precedes Easter Sunday, is we're going to tell you the story of salvation. We're going to tell you the story of Easter from the perspective of the table. Uh, Last week, we we looked at the first table. When you open up the Bible, in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, it starts with a table that God had set for Adam and Eve, our forefathers in the garden. It was a table filled uh, with delight, filled with provisions, filled with joy, and yet they chose to build their own table and ever since they made that decision every table has become a broken table and the movement of salvation in scriptures is god reinviting us back to his table in order to repair our broken tables uh, the sermon today is about that invitation and the Deep a love that is found in the fact that the Creator God of the universe invites us to his table. We're going to look at the elements of that invitation and what you find once you come to his table. So today we're going to read from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Last week we read from Exodus 1. Today we're going to read from Exodus 3. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 10. So this is what the Word of God says. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near." I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land, listen to this, flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Chebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. From where we left off last week in Exodus 1, 400 years had passed. People of Israel ended up in Egypt because Joseph, the son of Jacob, was sold by his brothers. I don't know if you remember the story, but he was sold by his brothers into slavery into Egypt. And God uh, allowed Joseph to move from a place of slavery into a place of great influence. Egypt, and because he ascended into power, he was able to bless his father's household and his brothers when time came. I'm not going to go through the story there, but, but that's the gist of it. He brought his whole family to live in Egypt with him, and, and he brought them to his table And in Egypt uh, as now um, part of Joseph's family. They were also sitting at the table of influence, at the table of power. But then the text told us last week in Exodus 1 that that Pharaoh who knew Joseph died and a new Pharaoh came into power and he saw the threat of that multiplying people group and he decided to turn them into slaves and taskmasters. And so now the people of Israel who had a seat at The Egyptian table were now kicked out of that table. And for 400 years, they lived as slaves in Egypt. Also uh, comes in Moses. Moses comes in right at the back end of those 400 years. Uh, We learn about how Moses in chapter 2 came in from within the power structure in Egypt as he was raised at the table of Pharaoh in Egypt. We're not going to get into the details of the story of Moses. You can go back and read chapter 2. But when he became of age he understood who he truly was. He learned that he was both a Hebrew and that he was also Egyptian. And he began to analyze things as you do when you get to that age. And he began to see that his people of origin were not being treated fairly by the Egyptians. And there was this revolt growing inside of him up to a point that he one time fights uh, finds a, an Egyptian man arguing with this Hebrew man and he takes the Hebrew man's side and he kills this Egyptian man. And he can no longer stay at the table of Pharaoh because he's now become a criminal. And so... The text tells us that he moves into the wilderness, into the desert. He meets this man who is the priest of Midian out in the desert. And he marries his daughter and he lives his life now working for this man. And 40 years has passed when chapter 3 begins. 400 years for the people of Israel and 40 years for Moses living in anonymity in the land of Midian in the wilderness. And then out, out of a sudden, as he is tending his father-in-law's flock, tending to the flock, going about his daily activities, he sees a strange sight. Uh, the NIV translates this as, as a strange sight. Here we read and it, it, it is translated as a great sight. It's both great and strange because what he sees is this Bush that is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he is intrigued and he's puzzled and he begins to draw near that strange sight, and at that strange sight, boom, an invitation to rejoin the table of power. Except that this time it is not coming from Pharaoh, it's coming from the Creator God of the universe. And I was thinking about this moment that Moses has with God and this reinvitation to draw near and to sit again at God's table as something that is, in fact, strange. It is a strange sight. The, the Christian table is a strange table. It really is. What are we doing here when we come and we partake of the elements of this table together? It's kind of weird. It's kind of unexplainable that you get to eat and drink to the memory of this man that has died 2,000 years ago, and you begin to realize the people that are sitting around this table, they're not of the same social economic status, they are not of the same race, they don't have the same walks of life, but when they come to this table, when we do that towards the end of the service, we will be doing that with the sentiment that the person that sits across from me, that the person that sits next to me is my brother and sister, regardless of their race, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their gender, regardless of their background. Christianity was super weird when it came around that, you know, the people in the pagan world that used to be at each other's throats, now they were sitting around a table Calling each other brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. It is a strange sight that the Creator God of the universe would speak from this table and would minister to a people such as us. It is strange. But this table explains salvation in the best and clearest way. You know, some of you don't understand what it means to be saved, and every other week we're talking here about experiencing salvation and surrendering our lives to Christ, and and and, and, it, and it's vague and obscure for some of you, but this is the clearest expression of what salvation looks like. This is a visible word, as Calvin, the theologian, used to put it. Salvation is nothing more than to be reinvited to sit at the table of the Creator God of the universe. To once again, as humans, to be able to enjoy the delight, the provisions, and the joy that comes from the fellowship that we have now with the creator God of the universe. It's to make your way back to this table. At the center of the universe for Christianity, there is a table where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been fellowshipping from all eternity And this table is not a table of power as some religions will make you believe that at the center of the universe there's power. No, 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 no. At the center of the universe there is a table of love that we have been invited to sit at. You have been invited to this special table. And and today we get to look at what makes this table so special. First, uh, this table is an exclusive table. Secondly, this table is an inclusive table. It's the most exclusive and the most inclusive. How is that possible? I'm going to tell you. Just hang on. It's also a table of abundance, three. And it's an expanding table, four. It's an exclusive table. Remember the words that God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, the first words as he saw that strange sight and as he drew near. In verse 5, the words were, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I want you to understand a couple things here. I want you to understand that back in those days, It was customary, and I've made that custom now uh, applicable in my household as well, that if you showed up to have a meal, to have dinner at anyone's house, and to eat from anyone's table, you were to take the sandals off of your feet. It is no coincidence that in the Last Supper, as we know it, um, the disciples did not take the sandals off their feet because they were prideful, and yet Jesus approaches them to wash their feet because it was customary. So I want you to understand that more than an invitation to approach the holy God in this uh, strange appearance of a burning bush, there's an invitation to draw near to break bread and have fellowship with the creator God of the universe because it was customary to take the sandals off your feet as you approach the table. For Jewish culture and for many other cultures, the table is a holy place. It's sacred. It's holy ground. Maybe that's how you see it in your family. I see that in my family. That's how we see it in our family. If you come to our house, you literally have to take the shoes off your feet to get into our house. And the table is a sacred place. But 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 not only that, I want you to understand the implications of that invitation. First, he's saying, yeah, come here. You can draw. First, he says, no, but you can if you take the sandals off your feet because this is sacred space. But at the same time, I want you to understand that you don't belong in this space because you're not holy like I'm holy. This is not a table that you should be sitting at. You don't deserve to come to this table you are not pure enough to sit at this table and i want you to realize this that this is an exclusive table the most exclusive restaurant in the world it's this little sushi shop in the subways of tokyo hakabayashi jiro it's jiro's restaurant there's only 10 seats at that table, and he only sees one party per evening. It costs a lot of money. For you to get a seat at that place, you have to call probably a year in advance. This is probably the only or one of the only sushi restaurants in the world that has been awarded uh, three Michelin stars. And it has become even more exclusive in the last year because it's no longer open to the public. You can only come if someone of great influence that's part of Jiro's friendly circle who invites you to that table. Now now, now imagine that. Let's say you're a fan of sushi. I know that there's some people here that are no fan of sushi. that They call it bait food. And, and I understand that. But imagine if... Your favorite cuisine was served at that table. If, if We're talking about French cuisine or even if it's a vegan restaurant. I don't know. We can respect vegans here as well. Um, but imagine your favorite cuisine being served at this exclusive place, some place that you cannot get in very easily. And somebody calling you and saying, hey, I got reservations for you. And I got a plane ticket for you to fly with me. And we're going to eat at that place. Now, we feel very special when we are invited to anything. Even if it's like, hey, come over to my house for coffee. You feel special. But somebody cares about spending a little bit amount of time with you. We, we, we crave invitations. It brings us into some sort of center every time that we are invited. And how much more would it be to receive an invitation to something this exclusive And yet, the invitation that we have received to come to the Lord's table is even more exclusive than that because there's only one holy God and there's only one holy God that has a table where he sits at and you get to be invited to that table. And I want you to try to really allow this thought to sink in because sometimes we come to this space and we enter... This, uh, this worship gathering where the people of God are sitting at his table literally. And we're worshiping him and we're fellowshipping with him. And, and we take this moment for granted. We take it for granted. We don't come in, in anticipation. If you were invited to Jiro's restaurant, you would be anticipating a great deal, you would be, oh, what, what clothes am I going to wear when I go there? What are, what are the words? I'm going to rehearse the words uh, that I'm going to speak as I speak to the chef. Like, you would be anticipating. You'd be looking forward. And, and yet, sometimes we come to the presence of the Holy God, and we are taking it for granted. We are not appreciative that we get to come. We, we are not appreciative that we have been invited. You know, some of you have come from Christian traditions that Christian communion has been called the Eucharist. And that's a great name for what we are about to do, the Eucharist. Because the word Eucharist is the Greek translation for nothing less than thanksgiving. This is a table of thanksgiving. Are you grateful that you get to come to this table Are you fully aware of the privilege that exists and being able to sit at God's table? This is an exclusive table. But this also is a very inclusive table. You know, Moses does not come to this table with a posture of gratitude, not just yet, because in verse 6, as he hears God reveal his identity to Moses. In verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses fully realizes what's happening, what's going on here. And therefore, we continue to read verse 6, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He immediately hides his face And he can't look at God because here's what he realizes. Even though he had been hiding in the desert for 40 years, he knows that the one who has invited him to that table knows everything about him now and knows what he has done. After all, Moses, if we're really going to call it like it is, is a murderer. He is a murderer. And yet he knows who he is talking to. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm toast. I'm dead. He's bringing me here to make me pay. I have been found out. I'm busted. My identity now has been revealed. I can no longer hide. And you know what this is saying to us, to you and I? If someone like Moses can sit at the Lord's table, could be invited for that great place of privilege, so can anyone of us here. And I think it's important for us to understand this because after all, we're in Miami, so you probably have done some awful things in your past that you're ashamed of. That you've hid from people, maybe you've hid from people all your life, like Moses for 40 years. And no one knows. But the creator God of the universe, he knows. He was there. He sees. You are unveiled before his eyes. And yet he still welcomes you. If Moses can sit at it, so can you and I. Now, the issue is this, is that we are the ones that try to manage God's welcome list. Oh, so-and-so, your name is not on the list. You, you stand, you cannot sit at this table. I know your life. I know the things that you stand for. I know what you have done. I know how you vote. This table It's not for you. Let me take the seat away. Please stand, sir or ma'am. We are the ones doing that. You know what I think? That heaven is going to be a huge surprise for a lot of us. That we are going to get to heaven and we're going to be looking around and we're going to say things like, wait, he is here? (laughs) She is here? What are, they, what are they doing here? And some of the people that you thought were going to be there, you're going to be looking around. I have, never, I have never found him or her as I've been sifting through everyone that's here. Yeah, because they did not make it. <laughs> now, on the outside, they looked great because they were well-dressed and they made everyone believe that they could sit at God's table, but their hearts were far from God. They dressed in religious attire, but their hearts were filled with self-sufficiency. Much like the rich young ruler who had an open invitation to sit at Jesus' table. Remember that? He comes to Jesus super well-dressed in every single aspect and way. And he says, Master, I have done all these great things. What else must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus loves on him, the text says. And Jesus sees his heart because he always sees what's underneath our actions and our words and our intentions. And he says, sell everything that you have and just give it to the poor. And he just stands up and walks away. He forfeits the opportunity of sitting at the table of the Savior of the world because he was too prideful to admit that he was better than everything else that he had. His moral rectitude and his material possessions. It's also the same theme of the parable that Jesus tells us of the two sons. Now, the younger son comes to the father and asks for the father's side of his inheritance and he takes that and he spins it out with prostitutes and parties and the elder brother despises his younger brother for doing that and he chooses to stay by his father's side. And after all the resources are spent, the younger brother returns home and The father welcomes him in a lavish way and throws a party and invites all of the townspeople to the party. But the one person that refused to go into the party was the elder brother. The only thing that will keep you from sitting at this table, it's not your sins. It's not your shortcomings. It's not your past. Nothing about you except for your pride. The only thing that will keep you coming and sitting at this table is your pride. Are you humble enough to tend to the invitation of the Savior today and every day that you are welcomed at this table? This is also a table of abundance. You know, I love verse 8, and I I paused when I was reading verse 8, because uh, what God is saying to Moses, he says, look, I want you to communicate the good news to the people in Israel who are living a life of captivity under the oppression of the Egyptians. I want you to communicate to them, not only that I see them, not only that I hear them, but I am coming down to rescue them. And I am taking them to a place where milk and honey will flow. And I love that idea of milk and honey flowing. First of all, because it's an endless provision. But milk and honey, it's sugar and fat. (laughs) And... uh, There's no tasty foods without either sugar or fats. And uh, they're a deadly combination. (laughs) I've chosen fat over sugar. Some of you have chosen sugar over fat. They're a deadly combination, but it's such a lovely and tasty combination. (laughs) But the Lord will provide. To the full cravings of our hearts, he will delight our souls in an endless way, in an endless provision as we come to this table. But there are also specific provisions at this table too. See, not only is it endless, not only is it abundant, not only is it permanently flowing in a way that we're not looking at the menu and saying, uh, how much is this going to cost? Or uh, we're not looking at people consuming uh, the elements of this table and saying, "Is it going to run out at some point?" You know, I'm worried about running out. There was an article in the New Times, uh, I think yesterday or two days ago, that um, this staff of this restaurant that's owned by Bad Bunny in Brickell. I don't, I don't know if you read about this. Um, they saw this cake. It was a pavlova cake from the store in Key Biscayne. It was brought to them uh, so that they could hold and bring it out when the birthday party was about to sing happy birthday to the person who was celebrating their birthday at that restaurant. And they couldn't resist it, and they ate the cake, the staff. My friend Beth, if he was there, he would have done that on that part of that staff because he loves that pavlova cake. And when time came, they brought a half-eaten pavlova to the table. <laughs> they just couldn't resist it. And you can imagine how uh, the guests felt. They protested. They, they, they got the, the meal for free. And it was not a cheap restaurant. Uh, but they did not get to eat from that cake. And I would imagine them looking at half of the Eden Pavlova sitting on the table and them saying, it's not going to be enough to feed us all. You know, the reason why many of us, we are so stingy and we lack so much generosity in words and in deeds and with our finances is because we don't know that this table has enough for all of us, even more. It's provisions for the whole world, and it's specific too. It's it's for every single need of ours. It's supposed to supply for every area of our life and every time of our lives. After all, when we come to this table, we say, Father, give us our daily bread. Because we believe that there will be bread every day for every single need of ours. And you may be going through a season of life that is hard and you don't know if tomorrow you're going to have that provision. Maybe you're going through cancer treatment. You don't know if you're going to have the strength to go through one more round. Maybe you don't know if you're going to have the strength to have that conversation with somebody to have and make that tough decision in life. And I know that The bread for that provision may not be on the table today, but we believe and trust that it will be there tomorrow when time comes. Because it provides for every single area of our lives. If you have a physical need, there's provisions here. If you have an emotional need, there is provisions here. If, If you have a need for wisdom, there is provision in this table for that. And if you need intimacy with God, you're enough provisions here for that as well, to know and to be known by the creator God of the universe. And it's for people that are not able to afford it It's good news to every single one of us who are here today. As Isaiah in chapter 55 says this in verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's a free table for you. A table of abundance. But it's also an expanding table. The last words here in verse 10 that God speaks to uh, Moses are, come, I will send you. There's a principle here in scriptures that God never invites anyone to his table that he does not intend to send out. If you are invited by God to his table, there is a missional reason for that. Is because he wants to send you out. The movement here is... God and Moses, to Moses and the people, to the people, to the nations. You have been invited to God's table only to be sent out. And the only reason why you and I today can come and sit at this table, it's because this table has expanded. It's because those who found their seat at God's table, pulled out a chair for you and I, and they shared with us that we also were welcomed at this table. That the restrictions that once kept people like you and I from this table were permanently removed. When the son who sat at the table with the father Gave up his seat so that you and I can sit at it. See, because we can't come to this table in our own merits like the rich young ruler. We cannot come to this table on the basis of our own goodness. We can only come and sit at this table on the basis of the goodness and the performance and the merits of the one who has had a permanent seat at this table, Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus gives up. He cries out to the Father, My Father, my Father, why can't I no longer sit at your table? Okay, he doesn't literally say that, but he says, Why have you forsaken me? which means the same. It's so that people like you and I could come to the Lord's table. And if you have realized that and you've found your seat here and your heart is filled with Eucharist, your heart is filled with thanksgiving, then what God wants you and I to do is to put all of our earthly tables to work. How so? He wants you to take this fellowship out to where people are at, to the people of your household, to your neighborhoods, to the people of your city, to your college campus, to your school campus, to your workspace, and say, hey, isn't it crazy that somebody like me who would never deserve to be in fellowship with God, am in fellowship with God? And the reason for that is Jesus. And if I can have a seat at that table, so can you. You are invited, if you have found a seat here, to put this table to work. To take it to where people are at. Because you have only been called in to be sent out. And so this morning, the table of God comes to us. It's a table that comes to us. It is prepared for sinners like ourselves that can delight in the great gift of his salvation. If you're here today and you never fully understood this truth, if you get to understand it for the very first time, you can come and eat and drink with us. Because when you and I come and eat and drink together around this table, all that we're saying to one another is like, isn't it crazy that, you know, Jack, the people like ourselves can fellowship with God. We don't deserve it, but we get to do that. And so he's worthy of all of our worship. and He's worthy of all of our praise. And that's how my soul is replenished. And that's how my soul and your soul is is nourished is when we allow This truth, like the elements that we will taste to come and be a part of us, enter our bodies and enter our soul and take root inside of us, that we are beautifully and mysteriously transformed. I want to tell you that the one who sets the table, he's also here with us today the same Savior that sat with his disciples 2,000 years ago, today mysteriously is present here with us. He sits with us. And he says to us, like he said to his disciples, this is my body that was broken for you. And this is my blood that was spilled for you. Don't you get it that I really, really love you? That I was willing to go through this for your sakes. So that you can find a way back. And so every time that we eat and drink, not only are we reminding ourselves that we are loved by God, but we are holding on to hope that one day we will also bodily feast with Him once again at is.